where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. No matter who you are or where you are on life's journey, you are welcome here. And you are wanted and you are valued here. We have stories of faith that connect us, whether you're in Connecticut, Colorado, the United States, or Europe, or anywhere in the world. Last week, um, we concluded our summer series on peacemakers, and Amelia and I were just talking before the service about how much fun that was. I mean, we, we learned a lot about people that we didn't know about. Remember Ibu Patel and his grandmother who took in women who were needing to be safe? Marion Wright Edelman, Wendy Moore O'Neill, let your little light shine, shine, shine. And her hopeful songs and her songs of purpose. Peace Pilgrim who was walking for peace and Wangari Matai who was planting for peace. Rigoberta Menchu, who Taylor shared with us. And last week, Mulala and Kalash Satyarthi. These are all people who believed a different world or a different vision of life is possible. And as I was thinking about each of them, I realized, you know, they would have been friends with Jesus, I think. Now, they may or may not have ever met through writings or teachings or stories, but their work certainly connected them. Their work was very similar, and that's what makes me think that they had a kinship. And it is true that many peacemakers have been moved and influenced by the teachings of Jesus. Just as it is believed to be true by some that Jesus was moved and influenced by the teachings of Buddha and other ancestors in the Jewish tradition, clearly ancestors in the Jewish tradition. It's the Buddha piece that not everyone believes. And as a connection, as a Christian, I see these connections as a God thing. I see this um, this connection through work as a God thing. It's bigger than the parts and even the names we attribute to the work, regardless of what religion we do or do not ascribe to. Whether we call it the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, or as Clarence Jordan says, the God movement, or whether we refer to our work as building a world of peace or justice work, there is common purpose and a common goal, and that's what makes the connection. I want to share with you this morning a visual that speaks to this common purpose and this justice work. And it's a visual that was put together by a colleague named John Gage. He and I worked together in Connecticut many moons ago, and he is now back in New England. Um, and the tech team is going to show us this slide. There it is. And I want you to just take a moment, starting at the left with equality, and take a look at how each slide is a little bit different. Just take a moment. 
And you'll see that they're watching a soccer game and people of different sizes and different ages. And what does equality look like and how effective is it? And the assumption that everyone benefits from the same supports is just not true. And then when we move over to equity in the middle, it's everyone gets the supports they need and can each see the game now being played. And equity is, is something that um, is ministries that make sure that everyone has food or everyone has housing or everyone um, has clothing and everyone has medical care. But equity doesn't address why people are hungry and why people need shelter, don't have shelter and why people don't have access to health care. That's where justice comes in, the one on the right. Now you'll see that that barrier, that fence, that impermeable fence that was the barrier has been changed. So the barrier has been essentially removed because the cause of the inequity was addressed. And this barrier that was impermeable is what we are calling the systemic barrier. So it's the ways that unfairness, um, the ways that privilege, the ways that special treatment, the ways that special access uh, have been built into the ways that our world works that may or may not have been visible have been removed. Uh, folks who are staying on afterwards for our um, <clears throat> breakout groups, you'll see this slide again, but I just wanted to offer you that visual and to remind you that our work in light of Labor Day is really all about justice. Equity is important as we move toward justice, but equity is not the end. Justice is the end. And so now let's return to today's story from scripture. Jesus was a very wise person. He walked the earth and lived and learned for many years before he became a leader. And he was an observer of culture and of what was normalized. And he had a lot to say about it. He knew the distortions and the distinctions that supported injustices. And he was particularly good at exposing them. And he did that through his parables. His parables were effective in exposing these beliefs and practices of the dominant culture where special treatment, where a measure of access and opportunity was granted to some people, but not all people. And I'm being really um, intentional here by saying it's just a measure of access because the dominant group never wants everyone to have complete access and complete opportunity. It's just enough so that you can feel content, so that you could feel like, you know, I'm in a good place. I have purpose and meaning in my life. I can pay my bills. I'm, I'm good here. While others are living in a luxury that um, by comparison 
to those who are not in that comfortable place seems obscene. The parable in the payment of the laborers actually practices equity. And it exposes some of the barriers to justice. It's quite unusual that a landowner would go back to a place where day laborers gather five times in the course of a day. That's a lot. You'd go in the morning, you get what you need, everybody works all day, and then the day's over and you go again. Day laborers was a class of workers in the ancient world. It's also a class of workers in our world, um, a very low class of workers. Going back five times tells us that something else is going on here. There is actual concern for the workers. It's not that there's necessarily more work to do. There's always work to be done. But somehow there's concern for the workers in the going back and gathering more and more. And here's the barrier to justice. You know, at the end of the day, when the landowner says to those like, why are you still here? They say, no one, no one has hired us. And we don't know why. And then when it comes time for payment at the end of the day, you know, the landowner could have had um, the person just pay the first people first, and then they never would have known what the last person was paid. They didn't do it that way. It's sort of, you know, one of, the one of the practices I learned in business was don't ever ask what your colleagues make. <laughs> first of all, it's depressing because um, as a woman, it was usually higher than me if they were men, but, you know, just don't ask because it, it sows the seeds of resentment. And so here in this parable, there is a blatant desire to demonstrate something different. And here's the statement of resentment. You have made them equal to us. As if somehow the person who came first to the job is better. You have made them equal to us. Hierarchical thinking and superiority as a basis of comparison and feeling good about yourself is an ancient concept. And then that's when sort of this recurring line of Jesus comes up. It says the last will be first and the first will be last. This is a kingdom parable. This is a God movement parable. This is what the world would look like if God was in charge if justice was the most important piece. Special treatment goes to the ones who were last, the ones that no one else hired. It reminded me of something that we would do in elementary school. And um, I can honestly tell you that we didn't do this very often, and here's how I know because we would line up by height or alphabetically by last name. And I know we didn't do it very often because uh, I was always at the end. You know, if we did it by height, it was always the tallest person first 
trickled down to the shortest. I was always in the back in elementary school. And then by last name with a V, I was either at the end or almost near the end. So we would line up in this order, in this hierarchy, and just a couple times our teacher would say, okay, turn around. So the end of the line became the front of the line, and the front of the line became the back of the line. The response was very similar to what we heard uh, in the parable. There was grumbling by the people who were in the front. You know, once you're in the front, you sort of get used to it. So I'm kind of glad that I was always in the back um, because, you know, I have a tendency to think I'm pretty important too, just like everybody else. But being in the back reminded me that, you know, there's others ahead of me. And that's not the worst thing. At least I'm in the classroom. At least there's something. So what do you think your response would be? Or what has it been? If you were one of the workers that came later in the day, or the one that was there first, how would you respond? How does this show up in your daily life? Excuse me, it's not Sarah Verasco, it's the Reverend Sarah Verasco. Not just a minister at UCC Longmont, I am the senior minister at UCC Longmont. It, it's hard for me to say those things, but um, I hope you can appreciate how real that is. I hope that the subtlety of that and how it influences our assessment of others and where we fit is very honest and real. And to act in the contrary to that takes intention and practice and God's grace. So is the response going to be resentment? Maybe the initial response? What's the secondary one? Is the secondary one going to be a realization that this very different way is important? And challenges our notion of what is and is not fair? Do you prefer what is? Do you like it the way it is? Or would you support what can be? And if you like what is, are you still able to watch the news without getting like indigestion and wonder what's wrong and why people don't fix it? Or would you support what can be or what will be? Jesus exposes the voice of resentment, but we didn't hear what the other people said. I wonder what they thought. I can tell you as someone who committed my life to faith, what felt to me later in life, I mean, I, I was raised in the church, but making a commitment to following the teachings didn't come until I was in my late 20s. It felt like I was late to the party or late to the field. And when I was met with grace and with love and with mercy and compassion and forgiveness, 
in terms of my personal relationship with God, I was extremely grateful. I was so thankful and appreciative that, you know, my life has become a very imperfect, but still has become a way of uh, giving back thanks for being picked up that day and brought to the field to be a part of the laborer to bring about justice. The concept of daily wages, which is what each of these laborers received, echoes the Hebrew scripture story about daily bread, the days of wandering in Exodus, the manna in the wilderness. They're connected. Jesus knew that story. Everyone has plenty, but no one has too much. Manna cannot be stored from one day to the next. So the leaders and the servants, the landowners and the laborers receive the same amount. And this manna, this lesson of manna came before the entry into the promised land. The promised land being the place of what will be if justice was to rule. In the Lord's Prayer, we say not, we don't say, give me this day my daily bread. We say, give us today our daily bread. So if we go back to the parable about the laborers, that would mean rejoicing that another had come onto the job and was able to receive their daily bread, their daily wage. This God movement, this commitment to justice is about grace and justice, not rank and sequence. And I love sequence. I love it in art. I love it in math. I love math. I love how the numbers line up. There's a right answer. But that's not, that's not the kingdom. It's grace. And what Jesus and Jesus' friends teach us is not that we have to work harder or better. This is not a do better, work harder kind of message. It's not a commentary on effort. It's a commentary on priority. It's a commentary on working differently and of not being so quick to formulate an understanding. Our working differently requires that we are aware of our need for God and God's grace. And God is not hiring for the sake of busyness. You know, the, the old highway signs that used to say, you know, get busy, God is coming. It's not about that. It's not about busyness. It's about applying our efforts towards the vision of justice, which is very different, which often requires the slowing down. It caused me to pause this week about the staff here at the church. We made a commitment last year to make sure that each person 
um, was paid $15 an hour, which is above minimum wage. Now, in light of COVID, many staff people have not been on site uh, for their typical hours. And so a similar commitment was made to continue paying people as if they were here and as if they were working every hour and every minute. That's an intentional decision that doesn't just happen. That sort of moves away from the norm of, hey, if you don't, you don't show up, you don't get paid. So if there has to be a, a gift to this very hard time we're living through, it's that we get to wrestle with these questions. The same kind of questions that leadership wrestled with, with should we apply for a payroll protection grant? And the answer was, um, we, because of the generosity of so many, we have enough. So we're not just going to pad our coffers. We're going to save that for people who really need it. That's a very different way of thinking. And it takes intentionality. And it takes a like, wait a minute, stop. It's not necessarily an initial response, but it's where we landed. And that feels good. I can sleep at night with those decisions. Because what we've come to know as business as usual, which really doesn't exist anymore, but the concept of it does, business as usual more often than not, in other words, business that's not examined carefully, is really just the normalization of injustice. It's the way things are. It's just normal. It's not okay. It's time to do it differently. And the good news is that what we're living through now is not the promised land. Because I know we all want to get there. I know we all want to be in that place where there really is peace, inner peace, outer peace, peace among people, where everybody has enough, where people have what they truly need. We want to be there. So we're not there yet, but we are wandering. So if it feels like you're not quite sure, like you maybe lost your way or aren't quite sure where you're going, you're in very good company because that's where we are. We're wandering. We're finding our way. And these changes and disruptions that we're all living with in different degrees have led many to rely on the wisdom of taking things just one day at a time. When I see families with children say, how are you? How's it going? You can tell before you even ask how it's going sometimes, but more times than not, what I'm hearing is we're taking it one day at a time. Today, the internet worked. Today, there was enough space for everybody. Today, uh, we were able to get through what we needed to get through. That's today. And we'll see what happens tomorrow. But there's wisdom in that one day at a time when you're wandering because you can have a moment to think and shift priorities. Like, wait, you know what? This really doesn't matter. 
They used to think this was super important, and it's not. So this is where I'm going to put my energy. Being a friend or follower of Jesus, um, being workers in the vineyard, if you will, is more than a choice. It's a commitment, really, to pray for eyes to see and ears to hear the distortions that have been normalized. And it's a willingness to pray for the gift of grace to approach our work differently. Let's do that. And let's do it together.